Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening. I'm glad you've chosen to tune in this week for That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and I'm joined as usual in the studio with Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Pastor Murphy, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Pastor Murphy, before we talk about the topic for this week, we have two questions that came in during the week. A faithful listener called in. Mr. Harris, thank you for your questions. Uh, Pastor Murphy, the first question is, does the Bible say that a man or a woman cannot remarry while their spouse is still alive? My response to that basically would be that we need to uh, establish whether or not there is a legitimate biblical grounds for divorce for that pastor. Um, Unless there are biblical grounds, and there are two biblical grounds for divorce and remarriage, but unless those biblical grounds are met, uh, no person, whether pastor or or non-pastor, should be given the right or should pursue uh, divorce and remarriage without having biblical permission to do so. All right. What would be the biblical grounds for divorce? Quickly, uh, there are only two biblical grounds for divorce. Uh, One has to do with unfaithfulness and adultery. It doesn't mean because a person has committed adultery that the pursuit of divorce is inevitable. I think there must be room for forgiveness and restoration. But uh, clearly, that's a biblical ground. Uh, Our Lord made that very clear in his word. Then the Apostle Paul uh, mentioned another one in in Romans chapter 7. This has to do with a believer who was abandoned uh, by her mate or his mate. Um, the Apostle Paul speaks to this matter, talking to the believer. He says he, the, such a person is not bound um, to remain within that, that state. So basically abandonment and sexual infidelity or adultery are the two biblical grounds for remar- divorce and remarriage. All right. The second question is, is it wrong for a man of God during the process of his divorce to get ordained? That's a little bit more complex in my judgment. I, first of all, I, I am not convinced that a man who is going to be divorced should be in the ministry. Uh, I would have to believe that he is an innocent party. Uh, but it is not wisdom in my judgment um, who is going through this process that the church, whichever church that is, should consider ordaining such a person. I think they need to get clarity on the matter. Uh, certainly within our circle, uh, no divorced person uh, would be a pastor, and it's even limited uh, to performing the responsibilities of deacon 
we believe that our leaders and our churches should have of the highest should be of the highest caliber, and we believe that they should be a model and an example. And there is a verse in Scripture uh, that talks about the uh, in the book of Proverbs. This talks about in the case where there's adultery and it leads to divorce. He says the offense of adultery will never be taken a place, uh, taken away. It should be a reproach forever. And Paul says that uh, a man of God must be beyond reproach. So I, I would not counsel any church where there's a process of divorce taking place to um, pursue the ordination of that person. That would not be my counsel. That would not be my advice. I think it's not wise. And um, that is my view on the matter. All right. Let's jump right into this evening's topic. This evening's topic is much debated. It often evokes strong personal feelings. It has divided families, broken relationships, split churches, caused civil unrest, resulted in lawsuits, and even led to businesses being shut down. You ask, why did we choose today's topic? Because no matter what your view, it affects all of us more and more as time goes on. That topic is gender identity. Pastor Murphy, what does the Bible say about gender? Anyone that's familiar with Scripture, especially the introductory book to the Bible, the book of Genesis, uh, it is very, very clear that in the creation of man, that God made a clear distinction between male and female, and he made a gender difference between a man and a woman. Our Lord in Matthew 18 um, endorsed that same uh, dichotomy between male and female, uh, where he reminded the people then that he who made man created him male and female. So it is very clear from Scripture, whether you look at the New Old Testament or the New Testament, that that distinction has been ordained by God and established by God, and those distinctions should not be erased. A couple of terms I'd like to define before we go forward. The first one would be LGBTQ. It stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and the Q stands for questioning. In other words, the individual is not quite sure their gender. A term that often is used when referring to a homosexual would be gay. There is a semantic game being played on a global scale, and that is to use euphemisms to lessen the the impact of, of words to make them more pleasant and more acceptable. Is there any biblical evidence that a person is born homosexual? That is one of the most popular myths that is being advocated by especially those who are activists. Um, the, all the studies that's been done, and I have in my possession about six of the studies that were done that were distorted and the facts presented in a skewed way so as to be in favor of the suggestion that a person is born a homosexual. There are no born homosexuals, none whatsoever. Homosexuality is a learned behavior. There's absolutely no grounds whatsoever uh, for believing or entertaining the thought that a man is born a homosexual. If that were true, it challenges the Bible, which is the final authority, and the Bible makes it very, very clear that homosexuality is a sin. It's a perversion. Uh, it is something that God disapproves of. And also in Scripture, it, it does mention uh, the steps that often lead to a country or nation uh, embracing a homosexual lifestyle. 
But I think that that is one of the great myths that continue to be in the marketplace. It's about time that someone addresses it and deals with it forthrightly, but there's no grounds for it. Neither medical, psychological, uh, is absolutely not true. Does God have a gender? Well, he's portrayed in Scripture always uh, with a masculine term. He's also portrayed in Scripture where he has certain qualities, the way he's, he's spoken of as a, a mother hen. Uh, but if we take Scripture for what it says, uh, it would seem uh, from Scripture itself that that is the, the, uh, the gender he identi identifies with. And I don't think we have the right to, uh, to manipulate that or change that or adjust that to accommodate the times in which we live. The Bible is the final authority. We must not mess with Scripture and twist Scripture and distort Scripture and stretch Scripture to accommodate the modern thinking. We are living in a world that is totally anti-Christian, anti-God, anti-absolute. And the, the predominant thinking really is what is called secular humanism. And anyone who's read this, the, the Humanist Manifesto know that it's a worldview that is a completely antithetical to the Christian's worldview. And Christians need to awake to this reality and stop um, succumbing to these pressures by, by society and, and hold to their biblical position. We will never influence the world by being like the world. We must be different. We must take a stand for what Scripture allows us to take a stand for. Do not compromise. Do it as kindly as possible, but do not bend or do not capitulate. Uh, we must take a stand for truth. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and the other voice you're hearing is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Pastor Murphy, why is it important that we differentiate between male and female and not just say that there is no gender? Again, all that we say on this program and um, our position we are informed not by psychology or sociology or human opinion. We are shut out, shut into the Word. What does the Word of God say on these matters? Anyone that has any awareness of what the Bible teaches, there can be no dispute whatsoever that there is a clear, definitive distinction in God's Word, that God made them male and female. We do not make our gender. Uh, God makes us either male or female. And uh, the idea that I can decide what gender I am is a modern myth. What surprises me most on these matters is that Christians uh, are sometimes buy into this rhetoric that is being um, put out in the marketplace without going back to Scripture and let the Bible be the final authority. We have abandoned an absolute standard. We no longer believe in a transcendent truth. We no longer believe that there's anything that is absolutely right or absolutely wrong. Uh, our desire is to cater to create what is called an egalitarian society where anybody can do what they want to. Uh, and once we have come to that stage, we will always end up in confusion. Once the moral base is gone, the superstructure is going to tumble and my brother, my sister, has already begun to tumble. Uh, it's just a matter of when we come to this final stage of collapse. 
Okay, I'm understanding you to say that because society, because man has strayed away from Scripture as the absolute truth, that we are in the mess that we're in. If that's the case, is this the the end of the mess, or is what's next? Well, we thought the LBGT was the end. Now we're learning that it's Q. I am not too sure uh, what other... Um, digit or number or uh, alpha, uh, letter of the alphabet we'll put, but believe you me, it's not ended there. Uh, those of you who are aware of what's going on, uh, the people today marrying their computers, the people today who are marrying their, their pet, I, I don't think this we've reached the end of it. I, I believe it's going to get worse and worse and worse, unless there is some kind of a transformative revival uh, and God intervenes. I I have no vision of uh, optimism for our society. Uh, we can only decline as we move away from God and get away from truth because that is part of the judicial penalty for men who once knew the truth to move away from the truth. When God judicially withholds his hand uh, from restraining evil, uh, then there is no limit to the extent of depravity that man will reach. I expect in my lifetime uh, to see the endorsement of bestiality, and there's nothing that uh, I think... It, once you open the door when man could live with man, uh, I, I see it has opened a, 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 a situation where, where do you draw the line? Uh, you can only tell a man he cannot sleep with man or woman with woman because it's a biblical base for it. There's no other reason for it that God, who is sovereign and who is the transcendent God and man as a creature, he dictates to man the moral principles that should govern social life. When we move away from that, we no, lo no longer have a standard we can go back to to say what is right and what is wrong. Man himself becomes a standard. And what man has a right to tell me another man? that what I'm doing, I cannot do, I cannot, I, I cannot uh, pursue. So we are headed to greater moral chaos. And uh, the further we move away from truth, the more depraved we become, and especially in the area of our sexual sins and our moral sins, uh, that in itself becomes more depraved, more perverted. And we can expect in the future that we will see something even worse than what we're seeing today. So in my mind... The lowest level is taking advantage of a child sexually. Do you think the direction that we're headed, that at some point in our so-called civilized societies, that we will see that accepted? I'm not too sure if you're familiar with a group in the States called NAMLA. No, I'm not. Uh, it basically is a movement of men having sex with children. And they are advocating that we will not have full freedom unless the same freedom adults have in the area of their own personal sexual life is also extended to children. So there must be no limitations, according to this group, uh, about age and uh, in relation to, to sexual activity. They believe that this is a personal decision that should be made between individuals. So I, I, I think as time goes on and we get worse and we become more depraved and we become more tolerant and we're fearful of being... Uh, blacklisted and being um, castigated and the, the movement against morality 
will become more militant. So I suspect that um, over time, I would not be surprised if the it becomes customary that the age of consent be reduced and perhaps even completely uh, removed ultimately. Remind you that when you look at the Roman Empire, a lot of the Roman emperors had boys in addition to their, to their wives. And they served the sexual purpose. Uh, 14 out of the first 15 Roman emperors were homosexuals. Uh, so we are now going back to where, where we used to be. The pendulum is swinging. And the same moral corruption that led to the decline of the Roman Empire. Uh, we in the Western world, having gone away from Scripture, gone away from truth, rejected Christianity, embraced a secular mindset, uh, we are now in a situation where uh, we are headed in the same direction and our decline will be much swifter because the means to that with the media and all these different social forms of interacting um, allows us to become more pervasive and more acceptable. So I suspect that it's going to get worse, and I would not be surprised that as it begins to be normalized in the Western world, especially in Europe and then America and probably England, I suspect it will reach here as well. What was the hope for turning the Roman Empire around, and is that same hope viable today? All of the major social problems and moral issues that we're dealing with today, they're not new. When Christianity came on the world scene in the, in the Roman Empire, substantially what we're faced with is what the Christian church was faced with. A rising tide of immorality, uh, the acceptance of po polygamy, homosexuality, uh, lesbian lifestyle. Uh, it might even surprise some people to, to realize that there was a feminist movement again where women were competing with men. And... Uh, the, the exposure of themselves in public, all, all of this is this is not new. The Bible says nothing new under the, the, under the heavens. But what happened with Christianity is that Christianity came into that kind of an environment and completely transformed the Roman Empire. Uh, and how did they do it? They did it because they were completely different. Uh, they, they were transformed. And by their lives, they influenced uh, the community, and of course the preaching of the word. So that same gospel that transformed the Roman Empire is available to us. The problem today is that the church has lost its moral clout. And uh, the Christian worldview, we have surrendered the Christian worldview, and we have embraced a secular view, and we feel intimidated because a lot of what is being said seems to be backed by science, but most of it is pseudoscience, false science. But there's nothing that can transform society except the gospel of Christ and the, the regenerative work of Christ in transforming people's lives. If Christ cannot change the individual and through the individual change the society, there is no hope. But there is hope because he did it in the past, he can do it today. It's just that the church uh, needs to understand that its power does not lie in political influence. Its power lies in the preaching of the gospel and the changed life that is brought about when that gospel is truly believed and embraced and practiced by the believer. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The program name is That's Truth. How is society influencing the next generation? Or how is society even influencing you and I or attempting to? 
this matter is going to enter the school shortly. I do not know if the uh, educational people in, in, uh, in this country and in the Caribbean uh, have the gumption, have the moral commitment to, to, uh, to not do the same thing. But this um, gender issue is now in school books in the States. Uh, children are now being, from kindergarten, by the way, that uh, it's no longer a home where there's a mommy and a daddy. It's a home where there are two mommies, but one of the mommies is a daddy. It's creating massive confusion. They're also um, trying to get textbooks where people become sensitized to the fact of homosexuality and normalizing homosexuality to the educational process. And it must start from kindergarten. Uh, it is already in the UK, already in Europe, and already in America. This systematic desensitizing and brainwashing from the earliest age in order for this um, new agenda on sex to be normalized. So parents need to get involved in the PTAs and, and need to be able to speak forthrightly on these matters because it's just a matter of time before they start creeping into the textbooks that we have. When that happens... Are we going to sit by idly and mutely and say nothing about it and not get involved in it? Will the uh, Ministry of Education coerce the private uh, institutions to adopt the same curriculum when these things begin to infiltrate the, the books that are taught within the schools? The time is coming when Christians are going to have to pay a price. The problem is that Christians seem to want to change the world, but and they're not willing to take a stand because of the consequences. Take television programs. It's now come where you can see on a television program, in a movie or something, two men kissing each other, two men going to bed. Uh, all of this is the systematic process of desensitizing us, and we ought to be aware of it. The availability of pornography that um, that can be beamed into the home or taken up on your, your cell phone or your iPad or whatever. Uh, if we are not aware of what is happening, there is a systematic plan to normalize these perverted forms of, of uh, sexuality. And unless parents are vigilant, uh, it we will find that our kids, uh, sometimes secretly unknown to us, uh, would be imbibing this kind of information. And it, the longer you see something, and the more you're exposed to it, the less sensitive you are to it. It, it. it breaks down your sensitivity, and before you become tolerant of it, and then it leads to being acceptable. It's a subtle ploy that is being employed, but it's being employed cleverly and efficiently and effectively. And I believe that parents need to be aware of what is happening there's a master plan, and it's being worked out in the media, it's being worked out on television, and it's coming through the educational process uh, within a very short space of time. I came across a Gallup poll that quantifies the effectiveness of this uh, media push. Okay, and I'm using U.S. statistics because that's where the statistics are coming from or are available. But a, the Gallup organization, which is not religious at all, they did a poll in the U.S. asking the U.S. public, members of the U.S. public, how many people 
in the United States do they think are gay or homosexual and lesbian? And the average person in the public said 20, they think that 23% of Americans are gay. The actual number done, again by Gallup, was that only 3.4 or 3.8% are homosexual. So that in itself proves what you were saying, Pastor, that the there's a, a bigger push to desensitize us to make it think that make us think that it's more common than it really is. May I inject here for yeah. just a second? Several years ago there was the Alfred Kinsey report that dealt with the questions of sexuality in the American population. Uh, they were pushing way back then and saying that the uh, the homosexual population was something between four four percent five percent. At that time, it was just slightly about one percent. But by skewing the figures, uh, and, and uh, this is basically where falsehood is being perpetrated as truth, and people who have an agenda to change the social landscape of society, and especially who intend to destroy the biblical base of Western civilization, they are systematically presenting facts and skewing the facts in a direction so that people are misinformed, miseducated, and the tragedy of it all is that people assume that these figures are true when in fact most of them are bogus. I was also reading about, in 1973, the American Psychiatric Association took, uh, I don't know if you have this information, Pastor, but they took the... No, they have a manual, diagnostic yeah. manual, that they, they had the homosexual uh, labeled there as a, 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 as a psychological problem, basically. There was a different title that they used, and there was no scientific basis for removing homosexuality from being a, a, psych, a, a psychological problem. But the gay community uh, threatened. Uh, they even, uh, when they were having meetings, disrupted the meetings, uh, threatened the lives of those within the association. And consequently, it was not a scientific basis for changing the definition and putting it within the category which is seen as a psychological problem and a disorder, uh, but it was being, they were coerced by the, the activists within the homosexual community. And several years after, 65% of those within the psychiatric um, society after a survey was done still believed that it was a psychological problem and that it should not have been re uh, redefined. But that gives you the power of the lobbyists and the activists and they are very militant if you want to see militancy go into the book of Genesis chapter 19 how aggressive this movement mm. will be in connection with Lot yeah. willing to break down the door uh, willing to violate uh, people who differ with them they want you to sanction that lifestyle and they will do everything within their power for you to normalize it. May I use another illustration? Take what is going on in America with a, a case that recently happened with a baker 
Now I know you're familiar with the, 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 the story, the other uh, another baker, but this is a guy that uh, refused to do a cake for a gay couple, and uh, eventually it went to court, lost the case. I think it was about 121 thousand dollars had to be paid they didn't have the resources the business has to close down uh, but his contention was this if they had walked into the bakery and bought bread or bought a cake he would have served them the public but when he was now asked to do a cake for a homosexual wedding he, he could not do it his conscience would not, like my conscience would not do it as well but if that had happened to me, an ordinary person, I would have gone to another place to get the cake. But my, that guy's opposition to that lifestyle, um, they could not just countenance how a person could be so intolerant. And of course, when I do not support your lifestyle, and I tell you that what your lifestyle is wrong, it is evil, it's a perversion, it's against God's word, your conscience comes into play and your conscience is offended. Gay people are not gay. They're not happy people. God has made man uh, in such a way. God has given his law. His law is written in man's heart. And a man has to fight against that moral law in his heart to do and practice the perversions that we see today. That the law now sides with him. He has rights. I don't have rights. And my conscience, my conscience as a believer, I'm now being coerced under the penalty of the sanction of law. That if I do not uh, render to him a service which my conscience violates my conscience, I now find myself at the law and I may have to pay a, a monetary uh, penalty which could jeopardize my business. May I say one last thing? Yeah, absolutely. I do not think governments or ministers understand the biblical principle of stewardship. As a Christian, my first responsibility is to God. As a Christian, all that I own, I own under stewardship to God. So if I own a hotel or I own a private home or I own a business, uh, it is true that I have a responsibility, a social responsibility to my fellow man. But if I had owned a private home and I was renting an apartment, I could not rent an apartment to two persons who I know were homosexuals. I could not do it because it is wrong. I cannot sanction that. Uh, again, why? Because it has to do with my stewardship. Everything that God gives to me as a believer, I am a steward of. Pastor had a listener who wants to know, can a gay person be a Christian? My, there's so much confusion today in, in, in so many different areas. Uh, this is what I really believe in regard to uh, this whole matter. I hold in suspicion, and I hold uh, in suspense. Any person who is a practicing homosexual uh, I have a difficulty believing that such a person is saved. I'll tell you why. The Bible makes it very clear in the book of 1 John that he that is born of God does not habitually practice sin. If a person is habitually practicing sin, 
his conversion is suspect. And the reason John gives is because God's seed is in that individual. Uh, I believe that a person um, could fall into homosexuality, uh, but I do not support and I hold in reserve any conception of a person claiming to be homosexual and living the homosexual lifestyle for a prolonged period of time and there seemed to be no chastening of God in that person's life. Uh, he's not willing to submit to Scripture and what the Bible teaches on that, ma- that, 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 uh, on that matter. So I, I, my answer to that is, if a person is habitually practicing homosexuality, he ought not to be considered a believer. And uh, So I have a reservation in that area, basically because of the biblical teaching on this matter. All right, we have another question. And this one says, what advice, this is a very practical question, what advice, Pastor, would you give to a Christian parent that has a child that attends a school with a known homosexual teacher teaching the child? That's a caller or a listener from Antigua. Thank you very much for that question. My answer to that question is very simple. I don't know who the teacher is. I don't know to what extent that um, child is exposed to the teacher. But one thing is very, very clear about people who are homosexuals, they cannot live in isolation. They have to influence those who are right in their direction. They are living a world of tension, emotional tension, moral tension, and it, it comes out. You can't help it. In their mannerisms, it comes out. Uh, and some things that they will say, it will come out. And... Um, I would not be surprised as well if they might do things that will try to influence the child in that direction. It's almost a given that if you believe something is okay and it is right, uh, every one of us know that we have an instinct to push whatever that thing is. My counsel to any parent who, who, who is aware of this situation, consider removing the child from the school. Find a school where that is not true. Uh, I am of the opinion that homosexuals should not be allowed to perform certain jobs. As a pastor, this is my position. I think when it comes to food and restaurants, I uh, have no qualms about it. That is one area that they should stay out of. If you know what goes on in a homosexual lifestyle, if I were to tell you some of the normal practice of 80 or 70% of what they're doing, and what they practice. I, I cannot myself entertain the idea of going to a hotel where the chef or some other person who deals with food is, is going to uh, bring my meal and, and prepare my meal for me. I would not be going to that restaurant. I would not be going to that hotel. All right. We have one other question, Pastor. What is the most dreadful sign before the Lord Jesus Christ comes back? Well, the Lord tells us very clearly that two things that comes to mind immediately. Number one, there'll be a falling away. And this is what we're witnessing today. We have Christians, churches now that are ordaining homosexuals, ordaining lesbians. Uh, There's a clear movement away from Scripture. So there's a falling away from the truth. That is one of the great signs of the times in which we live. Uh, How is it possible for people who are exposed to the Bible and know the Bible for all these years and all of these centuries 
Uh, how is it possible now for churches to be embracing this kind, these kind of things and kind of practice? That's what I mean by the falling away from the truth. The second thing I would say uh, that goes along along that line, our Lord warns about four or five times in the book of Matthew when he's talking about the end times that the key issue is going to be deception. He went so far as to say that if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. But those are the two things that will mark the end times. This uh, falling away from truth, and along with that uh, as well, is this matter of this pervasive deception that is being thrown on the world and is so pervasive in society that people just buy into all of these concepts. And using the the power of science, uh, uh, so-called, and psychology, and sociology, to support a lot of anti-biblical claims that have no support whatsoever. A quick uh, follow-up to that question is, they finished with, is Jesus coming back to kill? I'm not too sure what the, the audience means by kill. All I could say to you that it is very clear from the Bible that when our Lord returns, His church will be raptured. When the church is raptured, uh, there begins a time that the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. And that is when God will pour out His judgment on those who are living in that generation. Uh, those who do not accept the truth now will not be given a second chance. Uh, Thessalonians tells us very clearly that because they have not received the, the knowledge of the truth, God will give them strong delusion so that they believe a lie. But when our Lord comes back uh, and the church is raptured and taken out, then he begins to plummet this earth. Read the book of Revelations. The vile judgments, the bold judgments. Uh, it is very, very clear. It's a time of unprecedented terror that will take on planet earth. Uh, it's, it's actually said, were it not for the elect, all flesh uh, would be killed. But then God in his mercy will intervene. Pastor, have a question. A caller from St. Kitts would like your thoughts briefly on church and state with regards to same-sex marriage. This is where I see that there's an inevitable clash coming. I'm not too sure about the established church and the state churches, but I can see a clash is coming between the evangelical churches and perhaps governments even in the Caribbean. We will not marry male and male, nor female, nor female. Uh, you will find that Christian businesses will not do anything that will seem that they are supporting the gay lifestyle or the lesbian lifestyle. Uh, so I would not be surprised that if it, within the Caribbean context, a similar thing that's happened in America, that would be cases like that. We will preach against homosexuality, and that might lead ultimately, like it has led to certain countries, including Canada, where there may be civil suits speaking out against the homosexual lifestyle. Uh, but it is coming to a point in schools. Take the private school. We have a private school. We will never allow in our private school any book that endorses the homosexual lifestyle or lesbianism. Uh, that will never be tolerated in the Christian school. When we take a stand on those matters, and it's the government policy that this must be introduced into the school, a clash is coming. It's inevitable. It's really inevitable. Christians will have to prepare themselves for the inevitab inevitability. We, I cannot see 
how a clash will be avoided in the future where the present trend is to become global in our thinking and to be accepted by the wider world. We must adopt their social policies. There's going to come an inevitable point where there's a clash between the evangelical church and governments that uh, are contrary to what the, the Bible teaches on, on certain matters. We have a question coming through WhatsApp. How should a Christian cope with a child who is a homosexual? Now, that is probably one of the most difficult questions that, uh, that any pastor would have to advise on. I would say to you that your child uh, deserves your love and your affection. Uh, you can disagree with your child's lifestyle, and you must not in any way seem to tolerate it or endorse it. But you must never let that child doubt that no matter what happens, you love him, you want the best for him, and uh, you're there for him as much as you can. If I had a child who was a homosexual, I'm not too sure if it's a minor child or an adult child. Certainly if it's an adult child living in my home, he would not be allowed to, be, to, to stay in my home. Uh, basically for my testimony's sake, lest the people in the church think I'm endorsing his lifestyle, but also because he's of the age now where he can be on his own, and I'm not going to compromise the rules and the, that govern my home in order to accommodate him. But in a case where it's a minor, uh, if that is possible, um, I, I think the parent must do all that they can, not to support his habit, uh, but to reassure him of their love for him, but I think they must also do whatever is within their power to move him away from that kind of... Listen, homosexuality is a learned behavior. Something happened in that child's life. And I will suggest to you that in most cases, it has to do at a very early age. There is some form of abuse that has taken place. Whether your child who may be four or five, is playing with kids who are eight or nine or ten. And th I would never suggest that that age disparity, you allow those kind of children to play in an environment where you are not supervising them, or they are in places of secrecy or loneliness on the bedroom or, or, or wherever. Children experiment. And most kids who are practicing homosexuals were introduced uh, to that at a very early age by people who are much older than they are. But here's the problem. Once a child have had an experience that brings pleasure, it will be repeated. And if he has begun at that early, by the time he turns 15 or 16 and he begins to hear all of this garbage that a person is born homosexualist within the genes, uh, 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 a great myth. And then when you hear it on the news, you hear it in the media, uh, you see it on television, the, 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 the evidence, the, the, the false evidence, the overwhelming volume of it now weighs heavily upon that person. And he is now trying to, uh, how, how does he handle this whole question of guilt and acceptance? That becomes a problem. But I, I would not in any way encourage my child 
uh, to be involved in, in, in that lifestyle. And if I did find him in that move, I will move him in the direction as much as I can. I'll move him from the environment which he's in. I will get him involved in activities where he could do manly things. I will counsel him. I will use scripture. Uh, I will try to find people who are homosexuals uh, who came out of it to counsel him. Uh, but I will do everything in my part of moving away uh, from that kind of a thinking, that kind of a lifestyle. I have a testimony that I want to share that I found online today. It's not necessarily something that we would have traditionally played here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, but I think it is a great way to finish up this hour talking about gender disparity. So continue listening, and I trust that you will be moved by it and that it will be a reminder of what Pastor has been saying, that the ultimate power to change things is the gospel. I was 15 and I started dating a girl that lived down the street from me. It was my first time ever dating someone and being official. I was pretty pumped. I got a hickey. My dad saw it and was livid. I love her. It's a girl and I'm going to be with her and this is how it is. Yeah, it went terribly. I guess she told some people and so they came to me and asked me, are you and her gay together? I can either cower away or I can own it, so I'm going to own it. I said, yeah, what about it? Love is not necessarily between a man and a woman. The problem was backwards thinking. And if you were truly a Christian, you were on my side. And if not, you were legalistic and you needed to reread what God was really about. Judge not. God being loved meant God was nice and God was chill with what you were cool with. By 18 and 19 and 20, I was super wild and in serial relationships with women. When I got to nursing school, I met the girl that I ended up being engaged to. I kind of slowed down a little bit for her because she had two kids. And then at 22, I got invited to a Bible study. I expected them to bring up my lifestyle really early and then would use that as justification for not coming back. So I agreed to go. Different women in the circle were talking about different experiences they had. I have nothing like that, and it bugged me. I could not stop thinking, what if all of it's true? Are you sure this is who you are? I couldn't stop questioning. I need to feel okay, because I don't feel okay anymore. I googled verses on homosexuality. Those who practice homosexuality, which was me, and also drunkards and a, a bunch of other things that I would have been. I realized that I was in the will not enter the kingdom of God lineup, and it scared me really, really bad. And then I read verse 11, and it says, And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. I realized that there are people in the same place and they were saved and they were changed and that, that God could do that for me too and that I needed that. I could hold on to my sin and reject God or I could turn to Him. All the debt that I'd racked up living like I lived didn't have to be mine if I could trust him. 
So that was it. I knew what I wasn't going to do because it was right there. It was black and white. I'd twisted those scriptures before. I'd argued them down. I'd said judge not to them like that mattered. And then that day, it was like my eyes were really opened. I was amazed at the grace he'd shown me. People say to me all the time, I was born this way. I say, okay, yeah, me too. You're not born with right affections. That's why Jesus had to come. You feeling a desire for sin just proves you need grace like me. It's not gay to straight. It's lost to saved. God calls us not to heterosexuality, but to holiness. Even though the world would paint a, a totally different story about what sexuality is and isn't, God's word is clear and he can save, and he does, and he will. I just wanted to share that with you, and if there's someone who is struggling with homosexuality, there is a power stronger than the temptation, stronger than the sin that you are caught up in, and that's the power of the gospel. Pastor Murphy, thank you for what you shared tonight and the truths from God's word. Uh, Next week, we will be talking about cohabitation. And again, we had more questions come in tonight than what we were able to answer. Some of them on other topics. We will get to those at the beginning of next week's show. Thank you for listening to That's Truth. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.